Hello, and welcome to Spectology, the science fiction book club podcast. I'm your host, Adrian. I'm Matt. So this week on Spectology, uh, we are talking about the short story Exhalation from the larger collection of short stories Exhalation by Ted Not confusing at all. No, not at all. I think everyone gets exactly (laughs) what it is that we're doing. (laughs) But there's a good reason why we're doing that, isn't there? There is. So of all the stories in the short story collection Exhalation by Ted Chiang, there is one of those stories that is available for free online for anyone to read and that story is exhalation by ted Chang. indeed completely legally you can go and read that and we encourage you to do so before this episode if you want um otherwise you know if you don't care about spoilers feel free but we are going to have a fully spoilerized right situation going on right here and the hope is that if you you know maybe like haven't read ted before haven't you know aren't sure if you want to pick up this like you know fairly expensive fairly short short story collection this is a good introduction. It's maybe my favorite of all of his short stories. Uh, I actually haven't finished the collection yet, so I can't say that for sure. Um, But it's very good. It's very, it's both very good and very typical. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think it'll Mm -hmm. be fun for us to talk about this one story. And the next week we'll come back and we'll talk about all the rest of them together as kind of the pre-read or post-read for the book as a whole. So spoilers for just the short story. Uh, one thing we forgot to do in the pre-read is talk about any like content warnings. Oh, that's right, we did. Um, um, there's Ted Chang. Yeah, Ted Chang's prose tends to be uh, somewhat less violent mm-hmm. um, than some other stuff that we've read. I think that this book is fairly uh, light on the violence and on the um, any other kind of violence aside from physical violence is mm-hmm. also fairly light. There are some some things that may be philosophic philosophically troubling to you yes. potentially <laughs> but in general it's a, a a lighter lighter less of a need for content warning than than many other things we've read right and i wanted to explicitly call that out that we didn't really talk about much because there's yeah. not a whole yeah. lot i would say maybe there's one story that i've read so far that deals in questions of it kind of touches on questions of like consent and sexual relationships but about AI. Uh, it's it's yeah. done in this very like specific way that I wouldn't normally like really feel that much need to call out, but it but that is there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's not. But that's also not. We're not going to be talking about that today. No. When we'll we'll try to, um, put, you know, have some more warnings uh, before the other conversation we have when we get into that, right. that story. Right. I For just wanted to treat this as kind of this yeah, part totally. of the pre-read. From totally. now on, we're just talking about the short story exhalation. So Matt, you this is this is a curious story because you're kind of infamous on the podcast for you you'd never reread things, but you've reread this and you've reread I it have. multiple times. Can you do you I want to talk a little bit about times. that? Yeah, it's interesting. I think the first my first encounter with this story came uh, maybe right after college, so many years ago, and I'm pretty sure the version that I read was you know, mostly the same as this version, but maybe not completely the same. There might have been a couple of little particulars. I may be remembering that incorrectly, but it seems to me like maybe there were a couple of little things that were different. And I really liked it when I read it then. I read it on, I think it must have been um, some website where it was published at the time. It's published on Lightspeed now, I know. Yeah, it it may well have been Lightspeed then as well. 
Um, I can't quite remember. And I really liked it. And then I remember a few years later, I was talking about Ted Chiang, quite possibly even with you. And I, I sort of was reminded of that story. And I couldn't quite remember much about it, except that I'd liked it. So I went and I found it and I read it again. And then, of course, now I've read it again, again, uh, for the <laughs> podcast. And it's it's a really interesting experience. I mean, especially because it's not something I do very often. I have this weird thing that's going on in my head as I was going through it. Um, which is especially interesting because so much of the story is about how we understand, Ourselves. like it's about sort of looking in, yeah. looking over our own cognition, yeah. right? So I was looking over my own cognition about the story <laughs> as I was reading it because I had this sort of niggling feeling that I was remembering it differently. Like whatever my memory of it was, was different from the thing that I was experiencing in the moment. And so I, there was this sort of weird disconnect and I don't know if it was real or imagined, which is well, so what great. Is, what does real or imagined even mean in this instance? <laughs> uh, it's all just breath and air, Adrian. Uh, so um, should we, what about you? Uh, so this is my, I thought also like through, this is a short story I've reread many times, um, Unlike you, I reread things a lot more frequently. Like uh -huh. I enjoy the experience of rereading novels and rereading stories I like and rereading nonfiction books that I like. Um, I find that often and part of it is for this reason, like I often find that when I come back to something that I read in the past and have like, you know, let integrate into my consciousness in some way and then I get to like come back to the primary text there's always stuff I misremembered stuff I didn't remember at all stuff mm -hmm. that I have just like fully integrated into my identity and didn't know like its provenance and now here it is it's like the original text of like oh that's why I think <laughs> that thing this is a thing that I believe that like you know that's is from funny this. I like that can you possibly remember any specific things because I, I remember one specific thing. Um, I'll give you an example. So there was this, there's yeah. a specific thing that I recall reading it this time that it's actually the absence of a thing. I thought that I remembered there was this much longer section about the society of uh, these robots um, in the beginning of the story when it talks about the town criers and the way that they gather and the way that they go to the filling stations. I, I thought that in that area... There was a much, much longer section that described other aspects of the society not mentioned in this. Oh, and I don't know if I'm making that up or not, because that is totally the sort of thing I would make up. Right. That you would you just know? like think about hard enough that it becomes a yeah. part of the story in your memory. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I will like, say it's like a phantom. It's like phantoms, because like I don't I, <laughs> now that I'm trying to think in more closely onto what those other details might have been, they're like disappearing like shadows i mean right. it's amazing <laughs> i will say i didn't remember how or rather i misremembered the story as being longer than it actually is there's yeah, not a similar. particular thing that i remembered that wasn't in there but i remember the story being like a novella not it is actually a short story i even think i called it a novella at some point yeah. in the pre-read and it's not it's a short story and like in my head it had always been bigger partially because i think of its density not just mm -hmm. density of ideas mm -hmm. on the page but also density of ideas that then spin off in my mind that it creates that it's that aren't even there on the page but that like i keep thinking about it and i wonder if there's some of that of like the what little glimpses of the society you get are so cool that you're like oh, oh how yeah. would the rest of it work oh what do they really oh, yeah. look like um, oh yeah 
Absolutely. So, I know. mean, it's it's the it goes to the Walter Mosley quote from that that I was reading <laughs> last episode. I mean, it's like yep. you sense the presence of this like mountain below you, right? The but massive, you only like, see down to the water's gravity. edge. Yeah. yeah yeah no so it's it, i mean it's it's absolutely that it's absolutely one of those stories yeah. and it's um yeah i i don't know i think for me this story i think another thing that i particularly like when i think back about the remembering of the stories particularly the moment where he is pulling apart his brain Mm-hmm. which is like gas and gaskets and like looking he so his brain is exploded behind him Mm-hmm. And then yeah. he has like managed to like that like, he is behind the brain fully because he has this like mirror and like arm contraption to be able to like yeah. extend his consciousness behind where his brain is. And just that like I remember the first time I read that I had an almost like out of body experience <laughs> reading that this feeling of doing that to myself, but like imagining it in my own head and seeing myself kind of beho- above my head, like abstractly, yeah. you know, it's like instead of doing that with the physics of my brain, doing that with the like abstract concept that is the mind mind and so when i reread that but don't piece, you do that constantly all the time i do i think about this stuff <laughs> always this is true um but when i reread i, I the don't piece, even mean that i just mean like you know isn't the nature of your mind that it is looking at itself well yeah we can get into the ego tunnel here like i want to i want to touch on metzinger but like let's give that a minute but it's it just it's this moment of like when I reread it feeling that, that like there's almost a point of me uh, that was like disappointed that I couldn't feel that thing again. Like I'd already experienced oh. that for the first time once. And so I couldn't experience it for the first time reading it again. I was like, why is it the story making me have an out of body experience again? <laughs> what a terrible piece of art. Jeez. So, but that, you know, that is like, you know, completely like immediately it's like, okay, my expectations are wrong. <laughs> but, but no, I, um, that's so should we go through the plot at all? I mean, well, I wanted to say have read it. Yeah. Well, just even before anything else, like, um, I think we both safe to say we both liked it. Oh lot, yeah, right? I do. We, how, I love it. how would you describe your, like, how would you sort of give a little capsule summary of your feelings about this book and this story, especially compared to other great short stories that you think of? Like, how do you sort of feel about it? Like in this sort of broader pantheon of, other short stories that Adrian really likes or other things that have made you have outer body experiences. Mm -hmm. One of the things I like about this story is that it is, I mean, it's like Chang has different modes that he writes in, and this is squarely in the philosophical thought experiment mode. And so in some ways I think of this story as much as like one of Daniel Dennett's intuition pumps as I do as like a science fiction short story. And we mentioned Borges a lot in the pre-read and this is like his bore, like him and his oh, most yeah. Borgesian. Um, and so it's hard for me to put it in context of other it's, it's almost like it fits in the strange context of it fits almost between like, literature and philosophy for me like mm-hmm. it's it's in a certain ways like a really great kind of like deconstruction of like philosophical ideas into something tangible that you can like touch and feel um and yeah. i i really appreciate that about it in particular yeah i agree with all of that stuff i almost think of it like a a sort of clockwork contraption mm-hmm. um like a very intricate 
device that was constructed carefully by like Robert Hooke in like the, you know, 1600s to demonstrate some fact about optics that like no human being had ever thought of before. And like no one else in England was smart enough to see what it was <laughs> he was trying to get them to see with the device. But like he wrote to, to Leibniz and Leibniz was like, ah, Mr. Hook, you're a genius. Would that I could see your like consciousness visualizing device, you know, and <laughs> thus peer into my own monads. Um, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's this beautiful contraption that like a lot of um, old pieces of like like a lot of the sort of thinking that I associate with the high enlightenment era, mm -hmm. it, it is it is incredibly sort of all encompassing and ambitious little contraption for all its for all its sort of oddness and eccentricity, mm -hmm. you know, like it, for all that it's a sort of weird little story about like robots that that are powered by air. It, it has this incredible... Well, and about a weird little story about entropy and the heat death of the universe. Right, Like, exactly. you think it's about consciousness, and actually it's about heat death. Right. It's about it's about both consciousness and the nature of the universe. Right. It's about both it's the like philosophy a solid, of mind like 8, words. and metaphysics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, that's, and, and so, like, there's this incredible combination of kind of eccentric oddity and, like, sort of, you know like cobbled together sort of nature, not cobbled together, but kind of yeah. um, carefully constructed out of odd objects, mm -hmm. nature to this thing. But but it's the vision behind it is so huge and it touches so many things that it, it reminds me of nothing so much as as that era, as the thinking that went right. into, into great inventiveness in like the I mean, late 1600s. To what degree is that because it's priming you to think of that era by being about little clockwork air robots? <laughs> yeah, well, of course. <laughs> it's like it knows it's like has that that element yeah, about it. It does. And so another thing that I, I love is that, you know, you kind of went immediately to the theory of mind stuff. Yeah. And I'm sure you, I, I don't, you know, I like that stuff too, but if you ask me the same question, like what is the image that pops into your mind the most? To me, the thing that I remembered most strongly about the story that made me want to reread it is the image of this sort of main character robot suddenly realizing that his universe is doomed <laughs> to exhaust itself by its very nature. Right. Um, like him just sort of like sitting back. This doesn't even happen there. I don't think there is a sentence where he like sits back and realizes this. I mean, he realizes it, but it doesn't happen like right. this. But this is how I imagined it. I imagine him like suddenly sort of like slowly sitting back in his chair. As the thought comes to him that with each breath he takes, with each like movement of his mind, the universe dies a little bit. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's just... That's so that's so fascinating to me. I mean, well, I think I think he doesn't like I think he actually does mention that, like, he has that experience, but can't move because if he moves and he will right. tear out his entire brain. Right. Like, yeah. Like everything yeah. is in this like Rube Goldberg esque like contraption behind him. And like if he if he responds to the thought that his breaths are killing the universe, then the mm -hmm. idea and the knowledge of that will die. <laughs> yeah. It's so it's, it's so, so amazing great. how he. He combines these two kinds of philosophical inquiry. Mm -hmm. It's like he's constructed two machines that interface with each other or that like mm -hmm. one kind of almost like an Ouroboros is like eating the other right. forever. You know, right. the, the, and, and literally in the process of deconstructing his own consciousness, he is 
rocked to his like meta core by this like totally other philosophical problem. <laughs> right. Which is, you know, goes to the, you know, it's like Chang could have built this world in a lot of different ways, but he like constructed this perfect little puzzle that lets him talk about both things. And mm -hmm. both things have relevance for how we should think about the real world. But the real world, those two things aren't connected in the same way. I mean, mm -hmm. the real world pulling apart your mind like that won't show you that entropy exists. Whereas in this world, he like constructed the, the perfect kind of mind or brain mm -hmm. that when pulled apart also tells you something about entropy and heat death. And like, that yeah. is just so like that, you know, the fact that he like built the puzzle in the first piece mm -hmm. in this way that like, all he has to do is touch one part and it perfectly unfolds beneath him is like, is great. It's so well done. <laughs> yeah. I love it. It's really cool. And I, I, there's, there's so many other things that I love about it. We could just sort of gush about it for right, a while. I, right. I'll just say one other thing that I really love about it is the way that he doesn't, I mean, he sort of stops there. Mm -hmm. But he also does give you something of, well, how are people reacting to this? Right. What is the, you know, I mean, in a lot of ways, I think of if, if, if he has a kind of large tendency that underlies a lot of his work, I think that Ted Chiang has a tendency to want to explore the ways people react, the ways people react emotionally in the long term to profound philosophical problems. Mm -hmm. And this story doesn't do as much of that as some of the other stories, but in this story you do get at the end, well, so, okay, so all these robots in this little perfectly, you know, pressurized universe, are, are they're, they're convinced, like most people, you know, are basically convinced by the argument. So what what then do they do? Well, right. they're they're different factions. People have construct different ideologies in response, and some people sort of try to ignore it, and some people kind of develop a fascination with the search for perpetual motion machines and anti entropy devices, and you know, and then mm -hmm. you know, some people want to look for a you know. At, at the end, there's the kind of hint that maybe some people are going to try to look for new universes. Mm -hmm. They're going to try to bore a hole through the side of reality into a new, like higher pressure universe or something <laughs> and hope they don't hit a lower pressure one by doing yeah. it you know like yeah. give their life to someone else on accident yeah yeah no uh, the whole oh, man yeah the the whole thing is so expertly constructed and it, it's funny because like you kind of hit at the like end point there whereas like i was very interested in the idea that they've all existed as long as the universe has but their <laughs> yeah, but memory only remember. goes back yeah. like 200 years <laughs> and the writing only goes back like 500 years and you have to imagine like what does that writing look like like what does it feel like to read a historical document that you are a major player in but you have no memory of having been a major player in that historical <laughs> document do you consider that you like what is what is, you know what are the ethics of like crime and punishment in a place where like you will eventually cease remembering all your crimes, but you will still exist? Like what does identity yeah. look like? That's this whole like kind of like, you know, nature of identity thing that like you go down a whole rabbit hole and it's just like lightly kind of like, that's oh yeah, there. this is it's a just like a little, it's a little like gold dust. These like, right. you know, it you reminds know, me of it. It's over. like at these really fancy restaurants, you'll get these, you know, 
meal or like these appetizers that are essentially like a foam that is like very it's flavored like a thing you would recognize but it's like the consistency of you know like of a foam of like a packing peanut just disappears as soon as you taste it (laughs) it's it's like that it's like here's the idea of a story like you go and figure it out yourself (laughs) yeah i have so many amazing ideas that i can just throw them away (laughs) as like powder sprinkled over this like other thing right. but i'm sure to him it's more like oh that wasn't interesting enough what's more interesting is like how is the universe going to end right and you know i i mean this is a whole other thing like i think his in a way you know his proclivities like the things he finds interesting jive really well with with ours, with ours. I mean, yeah I, yeah i i I, I I said, you know, in last episode that he seems like the kind of guy who I would enjoy just talking to. That seems very true. I I, I um I've never met him, but I I imagine that I would enjoy having mm-hmm. a coffee and just talking about stuff <laughs> with Ted Chang. <laughs> that would probably be an interesting conversation. Maybe maybe we can get him on the pod and see see if we can pull some strings. <laughs> who knows? Um so there there was another thing that I thought was really interesting too, which is that um just as a, at a high level about how he how he writes um, that he has this way of investigating of setting up a universe that has relatively little like that functions in fundamentally different ways from our own and then setting up little agents in this universe to run around and then like allowing them to question their reality using methods that would be familiar to us but their re- so they are familiar mm-hmm. to us and their methods are familiar to us, but mm-hmm. their reality is very weird or off kilter or there are some deep philosophical assumptions right. that have been changed. It's like the process of science is the yeah. same, but the object of science is very, yeah. very different and you get yeah. to experience it along with them. Yeah. It sort of reminds me of other books. Like there, there's a, a sort of a subgenre in science fiction that's almost like um, science fan fiction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's like, people who are maybe they are scientists um but they're or, or maybe not and they're they're just writing you know about like, like they're writing they're physics. writing fake science yeah. yeah they're writing fake science for fun yeah yeah <laughs> like <laughs> it's it's a really cool subgenre and it's one that i really enjoy a lot right an example I mean, what of that are would some be of, yeah what yeah yeah examples? so neil stevenson's anathem is like oh, a recent right, one right 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 he does that a lot that's a book that i think you know i probably liked a lot more than you did for example but i, I really actually that that's book. probably my favorite book of his i loved that i really enjoyed that book yeah borges of course does this a lot oh, too wow. um mm-hmm. and i think a lot you know it's it's very famously something that like jules verne or like mary shelley were doing mm-hmm. i think back in the 19th century it was even more common in some sense where people mm-hmm. would you know because science and science was not science was not institutionalized and bureaucratized to the same extent that it mm-hmm. that it was you know in our lifetime or in our parents lifetime so back then it was perhaps easier for them to imagine themselves or someone like themselves or someone like the main character who they wanted right. to be doing this sort of thing i also think of you know one story one book that always like this story always brings to my mind is um blind sight by peter watts and like ah, both yes. for some specific things of like, for instance, like him sitting there with his like brain exploded behind him and his consciousness sitting behind his brain is very much what I think of when I think there's a doctor character in that book who like 
essentially like lives inside of his instruments. Like he still has a flesh body and everything, but he like sits in his thing and it has all his like screens and instruments. And essentially he like explores the ship through his instruments, not through his body. (laughs) And it's wild and like kind of almost off putting, but also in this very like kind of, it then makes you, so you sit down and you're like, Oh, am I doing that? Like through my computer screen right now? Like, what are the ways in which I do this just naturally? Um, I love, I absolutely love how, easily you enter into the questions about philosophy of mind i have a harder time like visceralizing that that stuff like i don't read i read that book too and and when i read that part i thought it was cool but i didn't like enter into it like that (laughs) right it was hard for me to do that (laughs) i feel all of these questions i actually found a notebook today while i I was like doing some work and i like picked up like i had two notebooks of the same ones for work and ones just for thoughts i accidentally picked up the thoughts one and i opened it up and it was like wait can i just pause you accidentally picked up your own thoughts oh (laughs) Well, Just, sorry, the, thing, sorry. I, so the thing it opened to was this, um, you know, was the quote I had written down in my own handwriting was something along the lines of, um, you know, we don't experience the world. We experience the simulation of the world that our minds make for us. <laughs> and it was like, oh, yeah, that's the stuff that I write down in my notebooks while I'm like thinking uh-huh. out loud. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Uh, you know, and I think that. Yeah. So that stuff is very easy for me. I also, you know, another book that kind of comes to mind as, you know, we've, we've talked about Lovecraft before and kind of the ways in which he's shitty on this podcast, but, um, at the mountains of madness, it's like one of the things I really like in particular about that short story is that the characters are these scientists who are doing science. who are trying to figure out, and they keep coming up with new Mm -hmm. hypotheses, Mm -hmm. proving those hypotheses wrong and using the data they use to prove those hypotheses wrong to come up with newer and better hypotheses until they finally land on the like correct hypothesis, which is that like ancient alien gods exist. And they like, don't, they don't even care about us enough to like want us to all die. (laughs) I know it's funny. You mentioned that I wouldn't have thought of that comp, but it's, it's, it's actually the same thing. I mean, there's actually, this tradition, the more I think about it, the, the bigger it gets. The tradition yeah. is sort of like gradually applying scientific thinking to different situations and different genres of fiction mm-hmm. has been growing progressively, mm-hmm. you know, over time. And and it waxes and wanes with different cultural moments and different th- times and places. Right. In really interesting ways. I think mean, at the turn of the 19th century, there was su- the sort of sudden emergence of crime fiction, which... Mm-hmm had existed to some extent before that, but it really became this whole genre unto itself. Um, and a lot of that was, you know, I mean, it's sort of, you can think of Arthur Conan Doyle as a, as an, as a progenitor of that. And a lot of what he's doing is just taking these ideas who, which had been written about by philosophers and scientists mm-hmm. and applying them to a new domain, the mm-hmm. domain of, you know, people, uh, the domain of like stories about, people in towns and cities mm-hmm. and, and and like and then now that at this point that has grown into the, such a vast you know country of of different subgenres and 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 different kinds of media like that it's almost strange to think of it as not having existed but there was a time when it didn't and it grew out of certain things mm-hmm. and i mean i think that's too that's one of the modes that chang is like both Chang exists in and is also at his best when he's doing, which is, you know, because there's also there's stories that do this, but like assume a metaphysics of like, you know, the Old Testament being true <laughs> or assume, you know, this this oh, is in yeah. his other collection, but like assume these totally different metaphysics as being true and like yeah. still apply the same kind of like scientific rational thought to like, well, what do we, how let's learn about it. 
Which exactly. I just love. It's like uh, the, I think it's one of the early stories in his first collection, which um, we're not reading this month, but mm-hmm. you know, we certainly encourage you to read. Tower it's of awesome. Babel. Yeah, Tower of Babel. Yeah, what if the Tower yeah. of Babel was real, but also not exactly how it's depicted in the Bible? Right, right. <laughs> Let me construct for you a universe that is somehow based on the idea of a Tower of Babel. And then I will like, you know, detail some rules for this universe to be governed by and put some people in it and allow them to sort of wander around right. and discover what's going and on. And discover those rules for themselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's so good. It's so good. In a way, in a way, it's it's I mean, I think one of the things that I think you you know you could plausibly criticize Ted Chang on, I don't really agree with this criticism, and I you know I think we'll we'll sort of interact with talk it talk more about it. Um, but yeah. just to state it first, you know, there's this Ted Chang is is kind of in this tradition of quote unquote golden age sci-fi where he's interested in science and he's interested in ideas and he's you know you might say less interested in characters, less interested in in people's inner lives. Um, I think that you know one strain of criticism might be well oh he's sort of just telling the same story over and over again with uh, different I window see. with different window dressing it's it's the story of somebody discovering something scientific right. via the scientific method and and thus learning about the world they're in now i think it's interesting to react to that criticism because i don't i don't completely agree with that um the first thing i would say about that is that uh it's a little bit unfair in Strawmanny to compare him directly to some of these golden age sci-fi authors like take Asimov, for example. Take mm-hmm. some of the Asimov's robot stories, which in a lot of ways are, are a good comparison, I think, because they're about they're, a, they're they're about discovering stuff. They're right. about well, they're like, also, they setting up these rules, rules exactly. and like let's explore the rules. Exactly, exactly. Um, so superficially they're very similar, but I think that comparison actually reveals the extent to which Ted Chang is doing so much more on mm. an emotional level and on a level of sort of describing people's, uh, on the level of taking seriously people's um, holistic reactions to these situations. In Asimov, it's just generally, it's sort of, it's coming directly out of the pulps to, to a great degree, I think. Like people mm-hmm. react to the situations as a cardboard cutout of their general type would. They are either like the noir detective guy, or they are the femme fatale person, or they are the whatever. There's mm-hmm. no real interiority to any of them. And I think that criticism is fair for all that I really like those stories. With Ted Chang, like, I don't even have the ability to say which old archetype some of these characters are supposed to be, because I don't think of them that way. Like, they're, they're, they have an interiority, and they have a, a nuanced sense of what they want, and they have a... Um, you know, a kind of complicated relationship with the things that they're discovering. Take, for example, in this story, our main character, who's never named, um, who's investigating all these different things. Um, We're we're not given a lot about him. It's true. Like, that's not the focus of the story. But the the ending of the story is very revealing in terms of values, Mm -hmm. in terms of the implicit values of this character. And in a lot of ways, this character is one of the least... uh, drawn out of any of the characters in any of the stories in this book yeah i will i will say that you know i think this story in so much like he he will do more or less character depending on the story and this is definitely an example of like the least amount of character that he puts in a story um you know for readers who might not have read or listeners who might not have read other stories of him like this is as low as character goes and it goes up a lot higher from here 
um just because of the you know criticism you made i want to make it clear that it's like there's also yeah. it's just like character stories totally that are agree. about character too um mm-hmm. but i think also there's this element of like he's not afraid to use characters as plot devices in a short story when that's just actually the best way to use them because he's more Mm -hmm. interested in like a philosophical thought experiment, right? Like there's a, there's an element of that. And I do find it kind of funny that you talk about that argument being straw manny when like, we don't actually have someone representing it. So it's a little bit of a straw (laughs) manny version of that argument itself, but like, you know, taking that argument in good faith as like a thing some people have said, then like, you know, there are, you know, that argument could all you could say the same thing of like, well, you know, every scientific discovery has been the same because everyone discovers. So it's like, well, yeah, but what's interesting in these stories isn't actually necessarily how people respond to them, but like what they're discovering and about mm-hmm. their universe and what that says about mm-hmm. ours. Like the interesting human reaction is not the characters. It's the reader's human reaction to like what you've learned. And like, I think that's a lot of what it gets at is that he's not necessarily trying to describe an emotional reaction he is trying to induce an emotional reaction within you i think that that that's true to a large extent but i also i just want to kind of emphasize even more something that i was thinking of before which is that you know i i think you know if if he really weren't interested in people's holistic reactions to these situations people's real like a react like i think of the characters in these stories as being so much more than just I think some uh, of this devices. is getting into like we should talk about it when we talk about all the story. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm okay, I'm okay. thinking of I'm still thinking of just this one. Seriously. Okay, okay, like okay, I, cool, I, the cool, other ones cool. are even more so, but 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 yeah. But so I think of these characters as being so much more than just just a plot device. Like if I if I think about the difference between an Asimov story and this story, I mean, you know, I, I feel like an Asimov story would end when the discovery about entropy was made. And right. that would be the end. Right. But this story doesn't want to end there. This story wants to show you how society reacts to that and mm-hmm. how the main character comes to an emotional piece with that. Like the reason why the story ends when it does is because that's the moment when the character arc of this nameless, you know, mm-hmm. alien creature ends. Yeah. And I think like, sure, you're, you have, everything you said was true. I totally agree that this is a very low character story, so to speak. Like, this is not a story that's like, this is like, you know, in some sense, the opposite of the classic, like, lit fic, right. you know, short story, which is all about like one, yeah, sure, t- sure. one tiny it. movement in the interiority of one rando character. Um, but act- But even despite that, even despite the low character quality of the story, like, it's still fundamentally about somebody coming to terms with something Mm -hmm. even Mm -hmm. more even as it's also about all this other stuff right and i think that's a really you know characteristic thing about ted chang's writing right i agree and i i i I don't disagree with any of that i just i just also kind of want to make it clear that like there's also like that criticism applied broadly also doesn't hold up in a lot of other stories Mm -hmm. that are actually Mm -hmm. about like little emotional turns inside of a single character yeah no totally i just think it's just really interesting like one of the things that i this is actually one of the things i find most fascinating about this story because to me when i read it the first time and and subsequently it kind of upended the way i thought about golden age sci-fi as a kind of frame you know, I used to think Golden Age sci-fi is great. Like, I, I enjoy a lot of those those robot stories or Arthur C. Clarke stories or, or what yeah. have you. Um, but I used to think that that sort of format was kind of limited somehow. Like, 
Like if you if you wanted to spend this much time in this small of a space on science, then you know necessarily you'd have to give something up or whatever. And sure, there's trade offs to some extent, but like I think Ted Chang shows that you can do more yeah. with the yeah. same amount of material, right? In a really cool way. I agree. I agree. And I think he, you know, he. We mentioned a few Golden Age science fiction authors that maybe focused more on that in the pre-read. I'm thinking of like Sheckley in particular, where like his right. stories, like honestly, also in the 50s and 60s, just did a better job of that than like Asimov's mm-hmm. might have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think part of it is like Asimov was singularly incurious about character <laughs> and like interiority, um, even compared to like Clark or Bradbury or Heinlein, who, who are all more interested in that than he was. Um I'll let that slide. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. JK, JK. This is, you know, in my opinion, IMO. IMO. No, 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 no. Um, I'm, I'm actually just trolling. That's fine. Um, cool. I think that's a good palette uh, wetter. Ew. Uh, that's a <laughs> gross. <laughs> I apologize sincerely. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm trying to delete it. Um, but I think that's a good kind of like, you know, like a good like let's let's put let's let we'll talk about the rest of the stories next week we'll get to compare and contrast these stories to each other a little bit more we'll talk about some of the um themes you see a lot across a lot of the stories we'll also get in depth into some of the stories like we did in this one and i think that that will be a fun you know i hope anyone who's been on the fence about reading these like picks up the book and reads them especially if they've like you know picked up the story and liked it you will like the other stories i i promise um they're all good <laughs> or at least all the ones i've read are they good. really are i liked all of them you know want to thank wj for our music that you're hearing right now want to thank noah bradley for our cover artwork uh you can find us at spectology.com uh, listen to us there. Subscribe on iTunes, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, Google Play, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we are looking forward to talking about the rest of the short stories in Ted Chang's collection, Exhalation, next week. Um, email us, spectologypod at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, spectologypod, at spectologypod on Twitter. Um, I tweet, Matt is... Matt is a smarty and does not tweet. Um, So, you know, all the better for him. (laughs) I'm too busy exploding my own brain. (laughs) So, yeah, we'll be back next week to talk more about these stories. There's some cool ones. They really are. Robots. All right. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Peace out.